been referred to um, as the, the solas of the Reformation. As we look ahead to the, the 500th anniversary uh, of what began with, uh, with the teaching of, of Martin Luther and the 95 Theses, uh, we will be, we've been taking a look at, at these central truths, these central teachings uh, that were so part and parcel to, to what uh, the reformers of the church taught, what they believed, what was central to, to what they were fighting for as they fought for the gospel. And so two weeks ago, we took a look at uh, that truth of grace alone, that it is the grace and the mercy of God, His action toward humanity in His Son, Jesus. It is grace alone that saves us from sin and death. And then last week, we, we looked at how this grace, this gift of God is solely received by faith and not by works of the law. It is that firm, confident trust in God's promises that receive that gift that he's given. And as we we look at those two teachings, uh, perhaps it's worthwhile for us to stop and to ask ourselves, why do we teach these things? But where do these teachings of, of grace alone and faith alone, where do they actually come from? Now, I hope in in some ways that maybe that was a little bit self-evident, and I hope that those sermons weren't divorced from from this idea. But today, we're very intentionally looking at the answer to that question, and that is that these teachings are rooted in Scripture alone. Central to to the thought of of Martin Luther, of, of the Reformers who followed after him, his tradition is that doctrine, everything that the church believes and teaches should be rooted in the Scriptures. That the way that, that we seek to, to live our lives should be rooted in the pages of, of Scripture. Right, take, for example, these words from, from the formula of Concord. Uh, the formula of Concord is, is one of our Lutheran confessional documents, and it was actually written about 30 years after the death of Martin Luther. And, and this document, it really seeks to to sort of give kind of an exposition on what had been already put forth in, in Luther's catechisms, in the Augsburg Confession, and, and really aims to kind of continue that tradition of thought. And, and the writers of this, they say this about the role of the Scriptures in the life of the church. It says, We receive and embrace with our whole heart the prophetic and apostolic Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, as the pure, clear fountain of Israel, which is the only true standard by which all teachers and doctrines are to be judged. Everything that we believe, everything that we teach should come from the pages of Scripture. Uh, Our goal as the church is is not to come up with, with new or neat or novel ideas about God. But rather, our goal as the church, as, as the people of God, is, is to continue to speak forth these ancient truths that God has revealed about himself. To, to communicate them in, in meaningful ways in our own days. That, that our goal is, is not to live differently than the church once did, but actually to, to live on in that, that continual tradition of, of the people before us. But the way that we're called to to live and and believe is the same way that that the church 2,000 years ago was called to live and believe. 
And, and even before that, continuing to, to seek to live in, in our times the same way that, that the people of God were, were always called to live in their times, even before the time of Jesus. And, and as we think about the role of the Scriptures in, in the life of God's people, perhaps one of the, the foremost texts of Scripture that comes to mind are those words from the Shema that we read from Deuteronomy this morning. I see back uh, uh, before uh, before kind of the printing press, before uh, we have sort of our, our normal chapter verse outlines in the Bible, uh, they didn't have that in the original text of Scripture. And so they would use what they called verbal tallies. And, and it was a way of, of sort of referencing Scripture by, by sort of the beginning of those words. And so the Shema, Shema being the first word in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, meaning listen or hear, is the title that, that Jewish people still today and, and even many Christians use to, to point to that text, which was for many believers one of the most central texts uh, in the life of, of the people of Israel. Take, for example, what's written about this text in, in a document called the Babylonian Talmud. The Talmud is a, a rabbinic source that, that sort of gives exposition on all the Old Testament, sort of like a, a modern-day Bible commentary. And, and in there, in the Babylonian Talmud, which was written around 200 A.D., but its tradition actually dates back to before the time of Jesus, it prescribes that fathers were to teach these words of Deuteronomy chapter 6 to their sons, as soon as they were able to speak. And think about that. And if that was the, the common practice during the time of Jesus, that these words that we come across this morning in Deuteronomy 6 very likely would have been some of the first words, if not the very first words, that our Lord Jesus himself would have committed to memory. And we see how these are central to his teaching, as when he is answered, asked that question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? What does he respond with? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words of Deuteronomy 6, they have been central to the life of God's people for ages. They were central to the life of, of Jesus, God's own Son. And so they should continue to be central to, to us in the life of the church today. And so what I want to do for a moment is, is I want to take a look at these words that, that Moses speaks to God's people. And I want to consider how they call us to have God's word central not only to what we believe and teach, but central to the very way that we live. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, as Moses 
speaks these words, notice here what he says about whose words these actually are. Moses is very clear here that these are are God's words spoken through him. They're God's commands, God's teachings for his people. And with that in mind, what are God's people supposed to do with these words? They're supposed to actually do them, right? To actually put them into practice. And Moses says this is all so that it may go well with you when you enter in to that land God has promised with you. Now this has to do both with Israel's place as God's special people chosen out of the world to be a light to all the nations. But I think this also just very simply has to do with how God has patterned his creation. That things tend to go better for us when we live according to God's commands. And so Moses, he prepares the people to to hear these words, to, to hear these commands And as we look at the words of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, I want to examine them in light of three things that we've kind of been talking about a little bit here at Lamb of God, particularly pertaining to the topic of discipleship. As Moses gives these words of God to the people, what God speaks to them is a particular identity. He he gives them a particular set of values. And then he shows them how they're to practice those things. God speaks an identity. He speaks values. He speaks practices that all kind of weave together and go hand in hand, shaping Israel's not only their conception of themselves, but the things that they love, the things that they they value and place an emphasis on, and then in turn how they're called to live. Listen to the words of, of Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Israel's identity is entirely wrapped up in the God who has called them to himself. It is a particular relationship with the creator of heaven and earth that establishes Israel's self-conception. That it is, they are people who worship one God and one God alone. And with that identity as God's chosen people, they are then called to love, they are called to value, they are called to worship Him above all else. This means saying no to other gods. It means not putting your trust in in the wealth or the possessions that you've attained. It means not even putting your trust in that land that God has promised, but that your love should be attached solely to the God who has made you his own. And so with that in mind, with that identity as God's people, with that value of, of him and worship of him above all else, Israel is given a very particular way of putting that into practice, and it is quite simply listening to and meditating upon the Word of God. Listen to what Moses says in verse 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. 
And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice here that what Moses says and what Moses calls the people to do with the word of God is that it begins to sort of work its way into every corner of Israel's life. This is not just about what Israel does when they worship at the tabernacle. This is not just about what they do when they're in that sort of official, formal, corporate worship, but everything about their lives is shaped by the Word of God. Most of us talk about them when, when you're sitting around in your houses doing nothing. When you get up in the morning, when, when you go to bed at night, talk about these things, teach them to your children. Bind them to your hands so that it would shape the way you serve. Put them as frontlets between your eyes so that they would shape how you see the world around you. Everything that God's people are to do is to be shaped by the Word of God. That is the call of Scripture alone. Not just that what we believe comes forth from the Scripture, but everything that we do, the way we see, the way we walk, the way we live... Everything is to be patterned around the Word of God. And as I think about this command, what strikes me here is actually just how simple and straightforward this is. It's very simply, take the words of Scripture and and just read them, listen to them, And just talk about them. Talk about them when when you're sitting around doing nothing. Just talk about the words of Scripture. I mean, think about the things that fill our conversations. The things that we have no trouble talking about. We'll talk to to no end about the television shows and and the movies that we've watched recently. We'll talk about politics and, and we'll talk about the things that we've seen on the news. We'll talk about the new gadgets that we've purchased or or how our favorite sports teams are doing or or whether or not the Sonics will ever be rightfully brought back to their proper home. (laughs) We talk about all sorts of stuff and we have no problem with that. But then when it comes to the words of Scripture, it's like, ah, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about that. I don't know if I have the right credentials to speak about that. And I think that perhaps one of the reasons is is we have such a difficult time just sort of turning off all the noise, shutting off all the other things that grab our attention and just sitting down and reading the scriptures and just drinking from that well of life that God puts before us. Just meditating upon them and reflecting on them and and committing them to memory. You know, as I think about that, the the first person for me that comes to mind is my grandmother, uh, who just actually passed away earlier this month. And and I remember something that she used to do with us when we were children, is, is every Christmas, usually sometime before Christmas Day, 
she would gather all of her her children, which was like she had like ended up with like thirty grandchildren, and, and she would just gather all of her children, her grandchildren, and and we would come to her home. And certainly there would, there would be food and there would be gifts. But one thing that she would do is she would do these, these different drawings of the nativity scene. So, so one year she would do kind of the, the typical manger scene as Mary and Joseph are with Jesus in the stable. And the next year she would, she would do the, the shepherds standing before the angels who are speaking to them this good news that the Savior has been born. And then sometimes she would roll up Epiphany in there and she'd do the wise men wandering through the desert following the star in the east. And she would do these drawings and, and she would just retell the stories of Scripture. And she would make us do these drawings with her. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And, and then what she would also do is, is she would make us stand up and show everyone our drawings. And once we did that, we would earn a bag that had $10 in quarters. I don't know why, but that's what she would do. And she didn't care how much I hated doing it. She, she would just make me do it. I'm pretty sure she made me do it until I got married. <laughs> Which was maybe just some incentive for her to have some great-grandchildren. <laughs> but she would just do these drawings and, and just talk about the scriptures. And she would retell these stories. And I just think about that image, and, and it was just so characteristic of, of the woman that she was. I mean, my grandma, she was just, she was this unassuming woman from a small town in, in southern Minnesota. But what she had done is, is she had spent her life just sitting before the Lord, reading the scriptures, meditating upon them, and then turning and, and offering those scriptures back to God in prayer. And over time, what this did in her is, is suddenly everything she said, everything she did, was just seasoned with the word of God. She didn't have a, a formal audience. She didn't have a, a stage or a platform. She didn't have a pulpit or a podium. But she had her children and her grandchildren. And she had the students that she taught in school and in Sunday school. And for her, over time, what happened is everything that she did, every single interaction for her became an opportunity to retell the words and the stories of Scripture. And, and if you're like me, you, you sort of look at that and you're just like, it can't be that simple, can it? Like just a deep spiritual life can't be just as simple as just sitting before the scriptures and, and offering those words back to God in prayer. It has to be more complicated than that, right? I mean, the church rediscovering its unique witness in the world as God's chosen people called out of darkness to proclaim his goodness to the ends of the earth, it has to be more complicated than us just sitting before the scriptures and talking about them and meditating upon them. And then going into the places that God has put us and, and seeking to put them into practice. It can't be that simple. 
creating that, that substantial, lasting faith in our children. It can't just be as simple as opening the Scriptures in our homes and teaching them to them at the dinner table or at the couch. It can't be just as simple as turning off Netflix and putting the devices away for 30 minutes to open the Scriptures. It has to be more complicated than that, right? It has to be flashier. It has to be way more like out there. But overwhelmingly, the lives of the saints before us and the pages of Scripture themselves would tell us it is that simple. That what God calls us to do as His people is to simply open the Scriptures, to read them, to listen to them, to meditate upon them, and talk about them. And over time, we will discover that these words and these commands and these promises, they will begin to filter their way and infect every single area of our lives. And I think that maybe perhaps one of the reasons we think that it can't just be that simple is sometimes we we perhaps forget what it is that we hold when we hold the Scriptures. People of God, do you know what we hold here? Do you know what you encounter when you come before the Scriptures? Do you know what you read when you read its pages. These are not tired sayings that have no relevance in our world today. These are not even just sort of ancient wisdom from from people who who thought really hard and, and deeply about life. But rather, what you hold, what you encounter when you open the pages of Scripture are the very words and promises of the living God. That these words, as Paul says to 1 Timothy, are God-breathed. And when we open them and when we read them and speak them and talk about them, God promises to do what He wills for us what He wills for His creation. And He promises that His Spirit is there working in and through this Word, doing what He promises to do. Bring forth His grace and work faith in the hearts of people whose ears are open to hear. Now, I think about that that story that we read in our Gospel lesson this morning where Jesus, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples who, who had been following him for these years. And they're walking and, and they're talking about all of these things that happened. They're talking about the crucifixion. They're trying to make sense of it all. And as they talk, as they speak, as, as they wonder what is going on, finally Jesus says to them, says, oh, foolish ones, and... and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things? And then Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus taught them in all of Scripture the things concerning himself. I just find it 
so intriguing that at that moment, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, guys, I don't know what you're so upset about. I'm right here. But rather, he points them to the scriptures because the scriptures point us to him. The scriptures point us back to what Christ has done. That when the world is dark and we're not sure what is going on and we're trying to make sense of it all and and it just seems like evil is running rampant, Jesus points us back to the scriptures and points us back to that promise that he has already won the victory. He has already conquered the powers of sin and death and darkness and he is coming again to draw all things to himself. Or when we're overwhelmed by, by the hurt we've experienced in life. When we're riddled with, with anxiety and, and depression. Jesus points us back to the words of Scripture. I teach us that in His resurrection, He has already overcome those things that would do us harm. That He's coming again to to wipe every tear from our eye, to cast out depression, to cast out anxiety, to cast out our hurts and our pain. When we're riddled with guilt over our sin and we're just overwhelmed by the messes we have made of our life, we find in Scripture the words of forgiveness. We find there the cross of our Savior Jesus, the place where He's won that forgiveness and borne our guilt for us. People of God, do you know what you hold when you hold the scriptures? So listen to them. Listen to the words of the God who loves you. Read them, mark them, chew on them, meditate on them. Feast on the what is given to us in the scriptures. Read them and know that when you do, your Savior promises to speak to you there. Amen? Amen. Amen.